football neophyte subscribers, listeners, friends, family, Emily, my wife, people who are listening to this podcast, uh, we have some exciting news. The exciting news that you may have already seen in the picture, the image associated with the podcast is that this podcast is no longer called Football Neophyte. It is called Football Neophytes. And I have with me a good longtime friend, Chris Smith. Hello, hello. Chris is coming on as a co-host, a special guest, whatever you want to call it. But Chris is joining me for these last uh, seven or so episodes. And if there's a way we can figure out how to do a season two, um, if I don't fire him, um, he will, he'll be around for that as well. So Chris, we're super excited. It's super fun uh, to have you on. Thank you. Good to be here. I, I think season two could probably be about me trying to figure out which Champions League team I'm going to cheer for next year because my options at this point are pretty small. That's true. Yeah. So one of the things that, that when Chris and I were talking through him coming on, which I thought would be a blast, right, when he mentioned it, um, but I thought to make this even more intriguing, we should require him to only ch- – he's only able to choose – from the seven remaining clubs. So the pickings aren't slim. There's some great clubs with some great history, but they are limited. <laughs> I, do you even know? Do you even know? I don't, you probably haven't even listened to my podcast. How dare you? I have listened to one of them. You've listened to one podcast. I could yeah. probably name a team and you would have no idea if that's even a premier league club or a championship club or a league one club. So you would have literally no idea. I could say, Hey, our next, uh, our next interview is with Aston Villa and you would have no idea if they were actually in the premier league or not. Yeah. I, uh, I've, I've heard of the team Aston Villa. So I know they're a real team. At least I couldn't tell you where they're at or if they've been relegated and which league um, you could probably name a British sandwich and ask me if it's a real English soccer team. And I'm 50, 50 shot. I'd get it right. Well, to be fair, I, at one point, so to find a lot of these, these interviews, I'm having to just go onto Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and find random fans of teams, different podcast hosts who you'll hear from later uh, for Newcastle United. Um, And that's basically how I'm finding my interviews other than the big clubs who have like where I have friends who are supporting the big clubs for some of the smaller clubs. I I don't know. And I'm ashamed to say that I uh, wrote some fan of Swansea city early on because I thought they were still in the premier league and it wasn't until way later. They never even responded because they were like, you are a freaking idiot. Like you don't even know that we're not in the premier league anymore. Um, but I, and it wasn't until later that I realized, Oh crap. Swansea city isn't in the premier league anymore. So, um, you're not that far, far behind me. I have learned a lot this, this year, but, um, great. You're not that far behind. Great. I'm excited. So Chris, uh, tell me, tell me and the, the 17 listeners that I have, um, a little bit about yourself. Yeah. I, uh, you know, obviously my name is Chris, as you've been referring to me for a while on this 
recording. Um, but I grew up, born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, so I'm an Arizona guy. I love Arizona sports teams. Suns are the Phoenix Suns are my all time favorite franchise of any sport team out there. And we are in the darkest of dark ages with that team right now. So I figure there may not be a better time for me to kind of be a soccer fan and just latch on to an EPL team um, to maybe get me out of the dumps that is the current state of Arizona sports. Well, yeah, you, again, you don't have very good pickings, but um, I will help you not choose a team that's going to get relegated because that, that probably is going to end up being feeling like a lot like a Suns team. If that's Yeah. They play what, like 35, 40 games in the EPL? They play 30, 38. So there's, there's 20 teams in the league. You play each team home and away. So, okay. Um, so here's, I don't know if it's going to be possible with who we have left, but my goal is going to be to find a team that maybe can win more games than the Phoenix Suns playing an 82 game schedule where right now they're on pace to win 17 games this season. So I don't know if it's doable, but if I could find a team that's going to win more than 17 games, I'm all in on them. Yeah, that, that could be tough. I mean, you've got, we've got Man U left, so you could, you could become a Manchester United fan. They've got 14 wins right now. So Isn't that like dating your sister? It uh, is. Not, not, <laughs> not your sister. I mean, like me dating my sister. It would be like you dating Abby. Yeah, I mean, they're the, Yankee, they're the Yankees. Um, they're, the, they're the Lakers. They're the, yeah, you don't. I haven't interviewed them yet, but really okay. going into the season, there was almost no chance I would choose them. So I don't want to set up my, my future interviewer for, um, for failure, but yeah, that, so Man U is left. Uh, Watford's left. Watford has nine, nine wins. Everton's left. They've got nine wins. Leicester city's left. They've got nine. Um, that's about the closest you're going to get, but I think those teams are going to, be hard pressed to win, you know, nine 17. of their last 13 or yeah, that's okay. going to be tough. All right. But I'll, maybe, I'll but out. you have, you have, you have draws as well. So. And those uh, are as good as wins. Well, yeah, they're, they're a point. You get a point for <laughs> them, which is good, but you could maybe say combined wins and draws more than the Suns have wins. And I think that's probably okay. Far, it's it's definitely more achievable. In fact, maybe every team in the EPL may end up with more draws and wins, but or at least here's, a good majority of them. Here's what I know right now. Literally, as we are speaking, the Suns just lost by 28 points to the Utah Jazz. In a game, they were only trailing by six points with like two minutes to go in the third quarter. <laughs> um, I don't feel – I feel like any team I latch on to – it's probably going to give me a better performance than a negative 22 point effort in the fourth. Yeah. Well, I think too, you can, you can choose some anti sun things. Like you can look for um, a team that has great ownership. You know, you could look for a team that, um, I mean, the suns do have some youth and there's some excitement around them. So um, but maybe like good player development, right? Because the Suns have drafted a lot of young players that, that haven't developed and haven't lived up to their potential. So maybe a, a, a club that has great, 
great player development. Um, you can like choose it. the anti the anti sons of the, of the EPL. All right, that's what I'm looking for then. All right, well that's great, man. Well, we're super excited to have you on, and I think this is going to be really fun to do this together. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to be here. I can put my my jealousy aside and say we're doing this together, my friend. That's right, we are. Welcome everyone to the Football Neophyte Podcast. This is your host, Nate Hughes, and with me for the first time, my co-host, Chris Smith. And we today have with us from the exiled Gordies, Jordies. We're going to get there. Jordies. Oh, Jordies. All right. Well, we're going to get into that in a little bit. But from the exiled Jordies podcast, Alex Paquetti. Alex, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, of course. Thanks, guys, for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're really, really excited. It was fun to watch uh, the match this week. Obviously not as good of an outcome as, as the previous week's match, but, but still fun to watch. To honor my co-host, I'm going to let him lead us off with the first question. All right, Alex. So <clears throat> this is my first podcast with Nate. And, uh, I, you know, as I thought about what I wanted to talk to you about on here, the first question that came to my mind centered around Newcastle Brown Ale. And so my question to you is, uh, does Newcastle Brown Ale being so bad affect your fandom at all? Or have you just convinced yourself it's good because of your fandom? <laughs> yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good way to start, I guess, with, with following Newcastle. Um, it's, yeah, I guess it's kind of the, 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 the side where you'd say uh, you've convinced yourself it's good because <laughs> of the fandom. I mean, on the old, I mean, you, we'll probably talk about this later, but our current sponsor is, is some Chinese gambling site. So to see <laughs> the old kit from the 90s and that, that kind of cool-looking Newcastle Brown Ale logo that goes with Newcastle United, those are a cool retro look. And uh, so then you just, you know, after, after your two or three Newcastle – brown ales in you just kind of deal with it and and you know it gets the job done so i like it i like it you know when i when i first turned 21 the first beer i ever had because of nate was a guinness and then the second one i had because of its price point was newcastle (laughs) god beer is terrible how do people like beer so much it's awful yeah that's right yeah newcastle's a pretty is a pretty bad beer but this isn't a beer podcast right this is a football a soccer podcast and so um alex you're obviously an american and you're american up in wisconsin very cold right now um how do you end up supporting newcastle how does that happen yeah so my support of Newcastle started uh my best friend is a huge huge soccer fan um and is he's colombian so he was like you got to watch the world cup in, in 2014 uh or the, 2016 i guess it was 2014 2014 um yeah. yeah and he's like you got you gotta follow this so i so i, I just started um really digging in then and i've always been a huge sports fan but never really followed a, a soccer club so um followed the world cup really closely and i was like you know i think i'm gonna give this a shot um and so I was looking at some like different quizzes, like what, what premier league club should you follow or support? And I just kind of fell in love with Newcastle as far as like the history of 
the club, how, how they, you know, obviously they haven't won a trophy in quite a long time, but, you know, the supporters of the club were really, you know, passionate and they didn't, they, they showed up every week, no matter how good the team was or how bad it was. Um, and, you know, the history of having Alan Shearer, one of the top scorers in Premier League history. Um, and, you know, and part of it really, too, is just coming from a background of my, some of my teams are kind of like the Bulls, the Cubs, the Blackhawks. Um, so I didn't want to pick a team like picking the Patriots or picking the Lakers. I wanted to pick a team that if they won one, you know, they won the Premier League one day, I would feel like, you know, I stuck with a team and I didn't pick like Man United or, or Chelsea. Um, so I kind of thought, you know, Hey, Newcastle is a team that has been there. They have the, the, the club has, um, the potential to be big again. Um, and it'd be kind of cool to, to watch that happen. Um, so that's kind of how I started, um, cheering for Newcastle. I love it. That's, it's so interesting. That's basically parallels my journey. I watched the world cup this year and I think it somehow, or I think probably the U S not being in it was really advantageous because I just enjoyed watching matches and I came out of the same thing saying, I think I'll like to choose a team to support. The only difference is I decided to make a podcast out of it. Right. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I also, uh, I also like how you ended up with Newcastle, uh, by taking an online quiz the same way my daughter found out she's in the Hufflepuff of the <laughs> I think that that's yeah it was like this yeah it was like all the rage 2014 Facebook quizzes like what what's your uh, what's your spirit animal what's your Premier League club totally I love, it. I love it. Hufflepuffs and Newcastle United are are the they're yeah. the equivalent okay so. Uh, tell me some of the history, like that obviously was something really important to you that sold you on the club. So tell us a little bit about the history of Newcastle United. Man. So yeah, Newcastle United, they've, they've been a, a you know, kind of a big club for a long time. So, uh, the, the, the stadium they play at is St. James's park. And, um, one of the reasons it's been able to be, you know, known as sort of a big club is because, of their, their turnout. I mean, they, what, what they say is, you know, 50,000 Jordies showing up every Saturday. Um, you know, the club, the, the, uh, the stadium or the park is kind of set in the center of Newcastle. So you can see it from, from pretty much wherever you are. And, um, but really it, it's kind of been an interesting history because they haven't won in like over 50 years. And, um, they, they seemingly were so close so many times and had a couple runner up finishes in the nineties um, under manager Kevin Keegan, who used to play for Newcastle and help them kind of fend off, you know, falling to the, some of the bottom leagues in England. Um, it did so again with, with the club as a manager. And then um, we're, we're kind of known, and this is when um, the, the lore of Newcastle kind of appealed to me it was the nineties. They were called the entertainers um, and they, you know, were scoring tons of goals and had players like Peter Beardsley um, and then as they kind of made their – they really faced off with, with Manchester United um, in those mid-90 seasons. And then um, for a while there, they, they, they really couldn't, they couldn't get it done. They, they had one season where Keegan was manager, and it seemed like they were going to win the title. And they had lost a match, and he kind of like went on – I don't know if it was Sky Sports, but one of those kind of um, like, like, a, like an ESPN over there and, and kind of freaked out and – there's like a viral clip if you go on YouTube and, and look up like Kevin Keegan rant. Um, he kind of like 
freaks out and says they're still fighting for this title and and you can tell him uh and he, he kind of freaks out so then they, they ended up losing losing the the title run to manchester united um and and we're kind of just hanging around in the premier league for a while and then in the 2000s they um had sir bobby robson become their their uh manager um who was at barcelona at one point and there's actually a documentary about him on netflix right now but they were really close again they brought in a player in the 90s named uh, Tino Espria, who's Colombian, and uh, they actually beat um, Barcelona in Champions League. So, huh. I mean, even like 15 years ago, Newcastle were like a pretty big club playing in Champions League. Um, they just had the, the weird thing about Newcastle is they just haven't won anything, FA Cup, um, any of the other domestic cups, or, or, a, or a Premier League title uh, since like the 60s. So, but yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell. That's the history, and then the recent history is a little bit more toxic, um, and that's mainly under the owner, Mike Ashley, um, and that's been for about 15 years now. Ooh, we're going to get to Mark Ashley later, um, but for, for I want to go back to the Kevin Keegan rant because I want you to give us some context. You know, we're down here in Arizona. Chris and I are both Arizona State University fans, and our current um, head coach is Herm Edwards, and he's got a famous <laughs> rant called you play to win the game so give me like is it in the you play to win the game like level or um have you seen that do you remember that from when he was the yeah coach? yeah absolutely hello <laughs> uh yeah that's a yeah that's on the that's on the the coaching rant playlist for me but yeah it's sort of like that he's it's an interesting one because keegan's wearing like that old like headset that you wear in an interview and and he's pointing at the camera and he's we're still fighting for this title and then, uh, then like the key phrase from it, he goes, "I would love it if we beat them. Love it." So uh, that's kind of like the you'll probably every once in a while on social media you'll see some comments that are, "Would love it if we beat them." So. <laughs> Great. Okay, I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> so obviously you have uh, DeAndre Yedlin right now. Is there any history of other American players? Uh, but yeah, so Yedlin, that's an interesting one too because uh, you know that was kind of who I liked watching was U.S. men's national team before that. So um, before that, it was like, actually, DeAndre Edlin was at Newcastle's biggest rival, Sunderland, the year before. Uh-huh. He was on loan from, he was on loan from Spurs um, and then ended up uh, being, when we went down to the championship, he ended up being uh, bought by Newcastle. And for me, I was like, I, I always loved to kind of keep an eye on, um, you know, obviously United States players playing over there, but um, I was kind of always like, yeah, I would like Yedlin if he didn't play for Sunderland. And then he actually went to Newcastle. I'm like, oh, this is perfect. So, um, so yeah, that's, I, I, I thought there was a dude that I was thinking of, um, but he's Nigerian. So that is not the United States. So that is not the, I would have been wrong on that. It is close. Um, okay. So give us some insight on, on these nicknames. So I know they're called the magpies, right? Yeah. And then also the Geordies. Yeah. What like fill us in on, on the Magpies and the Geordies. Yeah, so the Magpies are the, gonna be like their their mascot and it's like a bird. And it's kind of like there's some really goofy I mean for from, from the United States, I mean the weirdest one is like, you know, I always think like the dolphins are kind of a uh, uh n- not exactly a ferocious team name for a football team, but 
like the magpies and there's some other ones where you're just like really that's like they're they're okay um but yeah magpies is their is their uh is their mascot and then geordie's is is more of a kind of in relation to the the area so the people from uh newcastle um and that area would be called geordie's and it's you know based on their accent um and so that's how that came um to be and that's kind of how we came up with our name too is like hey we're, we're kind of we feel like we're from that area but we're not um you know we're kind of we just landed in the wrong place yeah so where i you know americans we barely probably even know where london is where is newcastle in the country yeah so newcastle is in the northeast um of england so so pretty far up there um so kind of their rivals around that area would be like newcastle's pretty far up to the northeast and then Sunderland and Middlesbrough are all there. Um, and Middlesbrough were, were in the Premier League just a couple of years ago. Same with Sunderland too. Got it. You know, the only reason why I thought it was Jordy, not Gordy was uh, MTV UK had a, a reality TV show called the Jordy <laughs> that was a spinoff of the Jersey Shore. So I was wondering, is yeah. that the same Jordy's that we're talking about here? Yeah, it is. And it, yeah, it's exactly that, that area. That's what they're kind of known as. Um, and I've never really, you know, I've seen like every once in a while people post on Twitter or something like that, something about Jordy Shore. And I'm like, I, I, I kind of watched Jersey Shore, but I have no interest in watching <laughs> another iteration of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. The only reason I think about it is Nate and I are longtime real world Road Rules Challenge fans. Yeah, that's and right. Importing guys and girls from the UK version and i think one of them was from Jersey shore and i was like what the heck is that it's got to be a jersey shore <laughs> that's funny yeah yeah exactly that's exactly what it is yeah so um same same setup same uh shenanigans so yeah it's kind of kind of interesting fantastic that that endears me to them a little bit more i'm liking this <laughs> good <laughs> tell us about saint james park um you know, I think one of the beautiful things about all sports, um, you know, Wrigley Field, Fenway, old Yankee Stadium, you have these iconic places. And I think one of the things that I really enjoy about English football is these iconic stadiums. Like the Etihad, I can do without, but um, some of these more iconic stadiums are appealing. And even are a, a reason I would choose a team over another is to – to be able to experience a match at one of the older stadiums. So tell me a little bit about St. James Park. Is it new? I know most of them, even the older stadiums have been renovated to just keep up with, with the times. So tell me a little bit about the park. Yeah. So St. James's park uh, is, yeah, Newcastle football stadium and it seats about 52,000. Um, so it's it, right now it's, it's still, um, you know, kind of on the, that upper side of, of some of these, and it's, and it's interesting too, because there's a lot of teams like Bournemouth seat like a quarter of that, if that. So yeah. it's really interesting, um, you know, the discrepancies, just because you think of like an NBA stadium or, or you know, uh, an arena, they're pretty much fairly similar. Um, but actually, St. James's Park was, was built in 1892 um, or open then. And so it is kind of, it's like I said, it's kind of right in the middle of Newcastle and um, it's really just a special place because it's just an, it's just an atmosphere unlike a lot of other ones where you've just got these people that really, I mean, you know, in London and places like that, you've got a lot of teams and you've got, 
a lot of other things going on in the city, but like when Newcastle play on Saturday, that's what's going on. So you go to the pub before the match and then you go and you've got, you know, so many season ticket holders that are just singing songs and just watching their club. And um, it's really, it's really cool. They've renovated a couple of times, um, but pretty much it's, it's, um, actually at one point, new, uh, Mike Ashley had renamed it and like everyone lost it and they changed it back, um, <laughs> because he named it some kind of, you know, advertising thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it really, it kind of speaks to who Newcastle fans are and, and who the club is. It's, it's been there forever. Um, you know, part of the, the, you know, you'll hear the Gallagher end and that's, that's a place where a lot of the supporters sit. And then there's the Lees's end as well. Um, so yeah, right now it's the seventh largest football stadium in England. Um, and, and it's been there for a really long time and it's seen some really great moments. That's cool. You mentioned, uh, the songs, you know, it's like singing the songs. What is, what's, is there a song that, you know, when they, the team comes out that everyone sings, or is there a song even for yourself that you're like, yes, this is, this is the chant or this is the song that is Newcastle. Um, so I don't think there, for me, there's like a specific one when they come out, they play a song called blade and races. Um, and that's like a, a song about kind of about Newcastle. And, and there's two, I think there's a, there's one called coming home, Newcastle, which is a, an SB nation blogs name too. Um, but blade and races is a song about, um, about Newcastle as well. So they play that one that when the players are coming out and then you can hear some of the chants and things that they, you know, every once in a while, well, actually quite, quite often you'll hear them. Um, you'll just hear like the whole stadium just erupting. And, and actually like a lot of times you'll, you'll hear kind of this and that at London stadiums and, and, you know, Manchester United, they'll sing it when they win um, glory, glory, man United or whatever. But, but when you hear St. James's park kind of roaring and they're singing Newcastle and they're, they'll make up, you know, crazy songs about whatever player has come um, and stuff like that and just have fun with it. But um you know, the, the, the sound of St. James's park when something goes, goes right is just unlike any other, because it's not expected all the time. So, you know, if, if it's a Bournemouth where there's 15,000 fans, you know, it's, it's, it's loud when they score, but when it's 52,000, that don't, don't always expect it. And when it happens, it, it really changes their week. It, it's, yeah. a, it's a big difference from, from Liverpool that are saying, finally, we should have done this a while ago. Yep. Well, let's talk about some of the current news. Um, obviously, there is a lot of talk. I was following Newcastle going into the last couple of weeks just to kind of prepare for this. And a lot of the stuff I saw from fans and um, even from your guys' podcast was, here we go again, another transfer window with nothing. A lot of crap talk about Ashley. and um, But you had your biggest signing in history, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it has been really, really so. Yeah, if we kind of uh, fast forward here past the glory days and the, and things, um, it's been a little bit rough being a Newcastle fan. I mean, the whole time since I've been here. Um, but yeah, we, we we entered the transfer window and we had actually sold um, one of the fan favorite, well, a polarizing player, Alexander Mitrovic. Um, uh, who's Serbian and he played in Belgium for a while. And we actually, we, we got him from Anderlecht and he was kind of like, there was a song about him called Mitro's on fire. Your defense is terrified. Um, and he was this big Hulkin striker that had tattoos and wasn't afraid to, you know, throw an elbow. Um, so we sold him for like 22 million 
um, to Fulham in, at the end of the summer window, and we still hadn't invested that money. And it seemed like we were just going to go through another window with maybe taking a player on loan. And it was getting really loud, and people are like canceling season tickets. And then all of a sudden, this like supposed deal that had fallen through for Miguel Almiron from Atlanta United um, ended up going through. And and it's perf- It's so fitting because we just at this point we're like, okay, when he's holding up the flat, when he's holding up the scarf, or he's holding up his his new shirt at St. James's Park, we'll believe it. And then sure enough, a day or two later, he's holding it up, um, and we spent over 20 million pounds on him. And, and that was our record. Our last time we broke it. And usually teams will break it, you know, every one to three years. Um, and it doesn't have to be by much, but the last time we broke ours was 2005 when we brought Michael Owen. So, I mean, it had been a long time and we've been penny pinching for a long time. And um, even with the, even with the TV payouts from Premier League side, you should be, you should be breaking that record. So it was, it was like a monkey off the back. Um, for the fans to just be like, okay, we finally did that. We can stop looking back, you know, 19 or 14 years to the last time we did it. Well, so what let it, me ask you this, Alex. Is, is he worth that price? So here's, here's, a, here's an interesting thing that our manager, Rafa Benitez, had said. He said, uh, he said something along the lines of, because we had, we had brought a, a striker on loan and then we had bought Yasulu from Stoke City for like 4 million pounds. And I think he had said like, well, in this market, it costs you 16 million pounds to get uh, to buy a striker that can kick the ball forward. So, like, basically, I mean, th- just the going rate of like, like a player like there's a player at I keep saying Bournemouth, but there was a player at Bournemouth, Callum Wilson, and they're quoting like 50 million pounds for him, and he's like an okay player. So, I think the inflation of soccer right now and, and football in general is just so out of whack that it's hard to like look at a number and be like, oh, this is crazy, like you know, 15 years ago, a team was built for that number, but it's just inflation. So I think 20 million may have been a little bit too much for him. He's unproven. He's pretty lightweight. He came from MLS. Um, but on the other hand, it's January and it's kind of a compressed one. It was kind of like the trade deadline in one of the other leagues is like a team to part with a player. Um, it's going to take more and you've got a shorter window to do it. Um, and teams know that if you're, you know, in a relegation battle, you've got to make a move to stay up so they can kind of hold your feet to the fire. Um, so I'm happy they did it. I, I'm, I still, you know, for me, I'm not, I'm not buying it. I probably will, but I'm, I'm not, I haven't bought the shirt yet, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I think it's, I think it's worth it. You got to break that, that, you know, duck and just buy, you know, go out and spend the money. Um, and that's really a realization that I hope Mike Ashley can make is that, you know, you can't be doing this for, you know, it's, it's always good to throw some darts and, and, and spend a million here, 2 million there and see if you can, you know, turn someone into 30 million pound player, but you've got to spend money too. So I'm happy they did it. Um, and I think he's going to be good. Yeah, that's great. You mentioned Rafa Benitez who, which again, I entered into this kind of adventure, not really, I had some really arbitrary reasons for choosing a team yeah. one of the things i didn't realize is how much the manager would ma- matter and uh rafa benita is such a likable manager passionate exciting and and seems to be a really great manager um but one of the things i noticed when i was listening to some of the commentary um during the match was talking about rafa getting the guy he wants on the team and, and stuff like that and i'm curious um, and maybe it's different for every team, but what role does the manager play in player acquisition? Does he, you know, putting it in the context of American sports, does he 
um, you know, the general manager typically makes the decisions and maybe a manager has a little bit of say or a coach has a little bit of say, but typically the manager, the general manager and the owner are the ones making the decisions. Um, how does it work in, in Premier League or in, or in English football? Yeah, that's a good question. So it's kind of, it kind of differs on every organization. And, you know, in, in short, I would say that most of the time the manager is more involved in it. Um, and he basically would make recommendations. He would usually a manager would bring in his own scouting staff and, and it would be part of, um, kind of part of how operations work. So they would say like, Hey, and, and that's kind of the, the, really the crazy thing about football in, in, in Europe is like in, in the NBA, I mean, you can get league pass and kind of see every player or you can get NFL Sunday ticket or, or rewind and you could just watch the games and be like, okay, this guy, that, this guy, this. Um, and then you scout the draft and that's about it. But in, in this, it's like crazy. I mean, you've got leagues across the world playing in different times and, um, you know, you can't just, you know, fly from, let's say Dallas to, to Oklahoma city to watch a mat, watch a game. You've got to, you know, have a scout in a specific country. And then within that country, there could be 15 games going on, um, at different levels. So, um, it's very much more important that a manager has like some scouts that he trusts to be able to kind of sift through all the different leagues and maybe have some, some people at each spot. So for Newcastle, uh, for example, there was a guy named Graham Carr who was our chief scout. And he actually did a lot of really good work scouting in France for a while. Um, he had brought in players like Musa Sissoko. He brought over Matthew Debussy, Hatem Benarfa. Um, and those are players that were bought for like less than 5 million pounds each. and each brought in a substantial uh, transfer fee, and Johan Kabai was one of those as well. Um, and so that worked for a couple of years, and I think Mike Ashley got comfortable with that. Like, oh, Graham Carr can find these, like, gems. But then the rest of the Premier League was like, okay, you're scouting France. Let's go check that out. And the market got oversaturated with, with scouts. Um, but Benitez is a little bit more, you know, he'll, he'll basically, at this point with Newcastle, he sends in, and this has been, the transfer policy has never been explained. Mike Ashley says what Rafa wants, Rafa gets, but it really has never been that way. It seems like Rafa hands in a sheet of, let's say, 10 players and says, these are my 10 players ranked. The first one's the most important to get. I think I need him to win. And then it seems like Mike Ashley tells Lee Charnley, who's the who's kind of the managing director, I guess you could call it. And he says, like, okay, find the cheapest player um, under 26 years old and, and, and bring him in. And then Rafa has to kind of, you know, deal with that or, okay, well, we don't really have any money to spend. So let's just find a loan player. Um, and so it's really been, I think Rafa's just about had it. And I don't know if the Almiron signing will change it, but yeah, usually Rafa hands in his kind of wish list and then gets the scraps from Ashley and Charlie. I was uh, doing some research on the team and everything I kind of ran across seems like uh, Ashley is actually going to getting prepared to sell the team. Um, so wondering if you know anything that's going on with that or how you feel about that. Seems like he's been a pretty uh, terrible owner maybe. And so uh, just wondering what your feelings on him possibly exiting the team would be. Yeah, so it's interesting because there's there's a lot of different narratives with Mike Ashley, and I basically everyone hates him. That's really the one that we can all get behind. And it's not even like if we just understood like what was going on a little bit more, I think that people would be a little bit more apologetic or understanding. But the the, the problem is that when he took over the club, he was actually like kind of 
out in public, he would go out for drinks with fans and he would be at a lot of the matches and he would say, we're committed to winning. And then it slowly, he backed away from that. And then we made weird moves and we would not invest for three windows at a time. And then, you know, he would say, we don't have any money. And it just, it just kind of became this dark cloud over the club. That's what we've kind of described it as is Mike Ashley. And just the the thing about, clubs in England or, or in Europe versus like an NBA team where you, you know, it's the owner, you know, it's the owner's team. Well, a lot of clubs used to be owned by like the fans or there'd be like a supporters trust that kind of was heavily involved in the, in the, in the club or the team. And now it's like these billionaires snap up a club and it's like, they have full control over this, this team that maybe, you know, your dad and your grandpa, you know, would go every, every week and watch and, and be involved with. And Mike Ashley, is is barely ever talking if he is he's on sky sports telling some seemingly fabricated story and yeah like you said we can get back to the to the sale of the club he's done this like 10 times where he said like the club is up for sale and i'm motivated to sell it i want to sell it to someone who could take the club forward um and it always seems to be right around before the january window opens um, which is always interesting because if there's a, if there's a potential sale, then you probably can't bring in any players. And if you can't bring in any players because there's a sale, then the fans can't get upset because you're trying to sell the club and they want that. So it yeah. kind of becomes this like tenuous, like just kind of sp- spiraling rumor. And so at this point, we never believe that the club's going to be sold because uh, he he has some like weird. So he owns this this sports. Uh, retail shop called sports direct and he uses st james's park for free advertising so mm. i know i'm probably inspiring you guys to follow newcastle at this point but i'll make <laughs> it later but we're in the weeds right now so he uses st james's park for this free advertising for his shop and i mean with with the with the tv rights internationally you think how much money could be generated from you know uh, uh whatever nike or whomever um chevrolet broadcast you know putting their their face all over um the stadium for 90 minutes to two hours so that's been frustrating and that's one of the things that he if he sells the club he wants to keep rights of of advertising in the stadium and no no new owner is going to do that they want to they want to have control over the club and so his demands are not meeting you know realistic valuation of the club so at this point it's not i mean we've heard rumors from you know, there was this lady, Amanda Stavely, who had like Middle Eastern investors. Vince McMahon had been rumored in the past. Oh, and now wow. it's Peter Kenyon, who who used to be involved with uh, Chelsea and Manchester United. So it's kind of been all over the place. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like this trans- transfers, at, you know, until we see it happen, we're going to keep, you know, um, you know, Mike Ashley's a liar. And that's that's really what it comes down to. Um, he's the owner of the club. We, we love the club. Um, and it'll be better when he's gone. But for right now, he's not. We just kind of have to, to wait him out. Because at some point, he'll, he'll leave. Just, um, just not yet. If Vince McMahon buys the club, I guarantee Chris will be a supporter. Yeah, I would rather have that. So I'm a, I'm a huge Suns fan. Grew up in Phoenix my whole life. So um, if you want to talk about horrible sports owners, Robert Sarver is just about as bad as it gets. Um, unfortunately... Robert Sarver wants to buy a soccer team. So, <laughs> oh, no. Uh, my oh, biggest, no. My, my biggest fear for you is that Robert Sarver may get real and buy Newcastle. 
Um, in which case, I may as well just cheer for them because then my favorite basketball team and my new favorite soccer team would both have the worst owner in sports. Um, wow. Yeah, you've, you've set up a nightmare scenario for us here. That yeah. is bad. Well, if you hear that name floated around, you can maybe wish you, like, Mike is just bluffing <laughs> again. Yes, exactly. Well, let's take a couple minutes and talk about the match. We don't need to spend a lot of time. Um, I wish sure. I'd, I wish we were featuring the Man City match. Obviously, that was epic and amazing and I think shocking for probably everyone involved. But uh, unfortunately, it was the Spurs match, which, I, to be honest, isn't a bad match uh, to watch. I think Newcastle had a great showing. Um, other than a pretty bad non-save by Dubrovka, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, very uncharacteristic of Dubrovka. Is he um, pretty? Is he a pretty yeah. good goalie typically? Yeah, and that's the interesting thing. I mean, we were kind of talking about scouting, and I think he was in like the Czech league. He was in like a very obscure league, and Benitez and and or one of his scouts like found him, and he was like they brought him in on loan and ended up buying him for like three and a half million pounds. And, He's been really, really good. I mean, we've had some – we had a guy named Tim Krull who was from the Netherlands for a while, and he was pretty solid. Um, but as the case is with Newcastle before Benitez, a lot of players just stayed a season or two too long and, and just, not, you know, kind of went out on a sour note. But after that, we had a couple middling keepers like Rob Elliott and Carl Darlow. But, yeah, Dubrovka came in, and he's been – ever since he got here, he played the first match and has been the first name on the team sheet pretty much since he came. So that was very – very bizarre that he get let up that goal. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a definitely exciting match. I was, um, I want to talk about a couple, just a couple of things about that match is, so they ran, they run there. They ran in that match of five, four, one. Is that, is that their standard configuration? Uh, so it's, it's, it has become that lately. Um, and it seems like, um, for a long time, Benitez liked to play this 4-2-3-1. So he would have um, Yedlin play right back, just a standard right back position, and then um, a center pair, a center back combination of Jamal Asels, or captain, and, and one other player. Um, and then he had two holding midfielders, um, and then typically one striker up top, and then uh, two wingers that could kind of um, get down the get down the side. So 5-4-1 has been new. This year, um, he's been using it more. I think he actually used it the first time last year against like Man City when he just he's very pragmatic and understands yep. like, okay, I know what we have and I know what we have to try to do. So um, five four one's been pretty pretty custom to us lately. Now, for those of us who don't know a whole lot about configurations, is a, a five four one does that lead to a more attacking style or is that a more defensive style for the team? Yeah, so it's a little bit more defensive. So you'll have three center backs at, at the same time. And then and then rather than having like four at the back, you'd have five. And then your two, um, instead of fullbacks, that kind of – I mean, sometimes a fullback will get forward and, and a pacey one will get forward and put balls into the box. But in a 5-4-1, they're more backs and they'll run much more because they're basically playing – because you have three defensive uh, basically center, center backs – you're playing those wingers. So like DeAndre Edlin will cover a ton of ground um, in a 5-4-1 formation just because he has to be attacking as a winger and also has to get back to help defensively. And sometimes it's an interesting formation because a lot of times teams will do like a four-back formation where the two center backs are kind of like, you know, 
I guess you could say like safeties in football where you really know, you, you know each other, you know where they like to play. But once you have three guys back there, your off sideline can be out of whack and, you know, who picks up the guy in the middle? Is it the middle guy? Is it the guy? So it gets a little bit confusing, but yeah, it's definitely more defensive um, and more prone to like, we're going to make our opportunities from counterattacks rather than, you know, possessing the ball mainly because you have five defenders on the for, uh, the pitch at the same time. Gotcha. So that actually answers my, one of my other questions. I noticed Yedlin played forward a ton in the game. I mean, it, he was basically, he seemed like the left you know, forward, you know, a lot of the match. He plays left, yeah. left back? Or no, uh, right, right back. back. Right back. Okay, yeah. Um, and it seemed like he played forward a lot. So that actually explains that. So in that five four one configuration, your, your two um, wing backs play forward a lot. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so um, – and even when we're playing a four uh, – like a four two three one, Yedlin just loves to get forward. And the nice thing about Yedlin – He's young and he's really fast, so he can really just he, – he knows that his, his pace is enough to – you know, he can get a little bit uh, risky with, with how far forward he is because he knows that most, most uh, attacking players can't keep up with him, so he can just get back into position. Um, and I think Benitez uses that to the team's advantage because he can say, okay, well, in a 5-4-1, let's just have the defense uh, slide over a little bit to cover Yedlin when he goes forward and then he can play as a defender once we have to kind of compress back a little bit. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Um, it also seemed like, I mean, obviously Sun scored the goal, but mm-hmm. it seemed like Yedlin played pretty good defense on Sun throughout most of the match. Was that a, a correct observation or what was kind of your, your view on that? Yeah, um, for sure. I think he's been uh, much better the last probably two years. I mean, it was nice that um, – well, I, it was interesting to be able to watch him because basically I watch him during Newcastle matches and then on international breaks I watch him play for the United States. So um, he obvi- one of the biggest improvements he's made is kind of like his man-to-man defending and just one-on-one. Um, he, he was, before he would be very um, – you know, he would kind of jump at the – you know, first move he would – you know, go to ground. Um, but now he's much more disciplined. Um, and I think his positional awareness is a little bit better. He's still, he's still every once in a while will kind of get himself out of position, but, um, yeah, he was better in this match. Um, and I think that, you know, just playing under Benitez for like three years at this point has just really helped his game. Um, I think that's, that's a big, uh, you know, um, draw for him is just, you know, you could be playing in some second tier, uh, football league somewhere, but to be able to play under Rafa Benitez, who was at Real Madrid like three years ago, is, is pretty pretty special. Looking at the standings, and uh, I believe you guys are in 15th right now, it, it kind of brought into my mind, and I don't think you guys are going to get relegated. I think you guys have enough points to avoid that, I'm pretty sure at least. Uh, but my question was, would you rather be in 15th place in the EPL right now, or down in the lower division winning championships down there? Yeah, so um, that's a good. That's a really good question. So uh, we got relegated. Let's see. This is our this is our second year back up. So four years ago we got relegated, and then three years ago we played in the championship, which is the. I know it's. It, to, I have to explain this, and I'm sure you guys know, but <laughs> to people over here, they're like, "Yo, you play in the championship? That sounds like the good one." I'm like, "Well, that's actually the second one." So, um, <laughs> but we played in the championship. Um, 
and we we actually won the championship and got one automatic promotion back to the Premier League. So we were just down there for one year. Um, and I will say there are definitely pros and cons for each. I mean, when you're in the championship um, and you're good, it's a lot of fun because, you know, not only are you winning a lot of matches, you're probably scoring a lot of goals. Like, Rafa Benitez played a much different style when we were a good championship team versus a bad Premier League team. So a lot of attacking, tons of goals, lots of come from behind uh, matches, three to three, you know, four to three matches. Um, and it was fun to win. And the other thing was we played, I think you play like 46 games when you're in the championship and you play 38 when you're in the Premier League. So there was a lot of midweek matches. So you'd be able to check them out online on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday afternoon. So that was a lot of fun. But if I have to say, I would much rather be kind of a middling Premier League team um, than a championship team, just because it's way harder to watch matches in the championship. Um, you know, in the Premier League, you get to play those like Spurs, Man United, uh, Arsenal. You get to you get to have a crack at the big, you know, big players. Uh, and then the other thing is just um, if you ever go, if sometimes if you go down to the championship, you're kind of stuck there. And if you don't bounce back right away, um, your club can kind of toil down there for a while. So you've seen that with Aston Villa. And Sunderland actually did a double relegation in a row. So they lost. Yes. They got relegated out of the Premier League. They got relegated to League One. And they're fighting just to get back to the championship now. So while it is fun to be, like, crushing it in the championship, um, you know, anything you can do to stay in the Premier League, especially at this point in economic standpoint, it's, it's definitely worth it to try to stay up. And then when you get those moments when you beat Man City, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah that would, like, uh, builds a whole season for you guys, right? Like, that, that'll be the yeah, best absolutely. season, yeah. Do you, do you like the relegation system? I really, I really do. And I, I have, you know, I'm a huge uh, Vikings fan, and I love, I love American sports, and I love the way that, you know, you're never really – I mean, from year to year, you're never really out of it. I mean, you can definitely rebuild your team with good drafting and things like that. So that's the one part of the Premier League where, like, you just, you're just never going to see a Leicester again, really. And you're never going to have, like, a Newcastle just win, you know, have a dynasty. Um, but the one thing I'll say is that it really, really makes teams fight hard to stay in the Premier League because they know what's at stake if they get relegated. And – it's always cool to kind of like look at the other leagues and see who might be coming up next year and who might be playing Newcastle. So I think that relegation and promotion is, is, is awesome. And I think that if, you know, in the United States, if we could find a way to do that more um, or at all, it would be really cool. I mean, it would just, it would just change the culture. Some of these teams just, you know, even in the NBA right now, there's teams that are like 11 and 50 and it's just like, it, it's just this terrible culture where, you're, you, you know, you have ownership that might be wanting you to lose and you have players that actually have to go out there and, and play. So um, there's something about a relegation battle that's pretty cool um, when you get those victories and you can you can fight to stay up. Yeah, I like it. I think uh, it's, it's a great idea. Like you're saying, it keeps everything competitive. I, you know, thinking about the landscape of American sports – you have teams legitimately tanking and losing on purpose or not wanting to win every night. Yeah. Uh, it, it fixes all, all that. All that goes away. Uh, at the same time, the thought of, you know, the Phoenix Suns being the G League champions. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I get your answer of wanting to be in the EPL and have that. Um, 
Yeah, because the Flagstaff Suns as a G League champion just doesn't sound like a, a good time to me. <laughs> it exactly. might. I, Chris, I, I mean, this is, a, this is a football podcast, so we don't want to talk basketball too much, but I kind of disagree. I think that would be the best thing for the Suns. It's horrible right now. At least would, they would they would be it winning. It would be the only championship that they could possibly get for the next couple of years. That's true. And it would and, be the first championship in Suns history. So maybe it's worth it. Until Sarver sells the Suns in order to buy Newcastle United. Yeah. I mean, they, <laughs> Forbes came out with their most valuable rankings today on the NBA. And the Suns are worth like $1.4 So I think he should sell so he can buy Newcastle. That would be a good. That would be a good uh, economic move for him, right? Yeah, because I think Newcastle can be bought for about three hundred million right now. So yeah, that's what I saw. They were estimating right around that three hundred to three hundred thirty million for Newcastle. Yeah, which I was like, wow, that's insane. He paid four twenty for the Suns in two thousand and four, and now they're worth one point two. He should get out and go to soccer. Yeah, <laughs> but I digress. Sorry, I don't mean to. I do. Into- I do think, though, no, I think we can talk about buying clubs for a minute before we switch, uh, switch to our last little topic. But I think that buying if – were, if I were filthy rich, I think the most fun thing to do would be to buy, like, a League Two football club in England and just <laughs> pump a ton of money into it to try and make it to the Premier League. It would be yeah. just a blast. And that's pretty much what I do on FIFA. Basically, like, okay, what what team has like a cool what what team has like a cool jersey? Like, okay, okay, uh, let's try Bradford City. Okay, Bradford City has a stadium of eight thousand people. Let's get to the Premier League. <laughs> so rad! I love it. It's so good. I was surprised to see that the valuation on that was right around three hundred thirty for for Newcastle. Is do, do you have any idea, like, what most teams would sell for? Yeah, there's. Uh, it's pretty. It's pretty all over the place. I think um, some of the clubs are, like I said, yeah, like kind of like you were saying about the Suns, like over a billion dollars, um, and that's what I think there was a, a potential. I think the Glazers were looking to sell Liverpool at one point. It was like over a billion, and then the owner, the 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 potential buyer, backed away at that price. Um, but yeah, really it, it would, Newcastle's valuation of about 300 million or 330 million is, is heavily linked to the fact that a, they have Rafa Benitez and B they're in the premier league still. If they, if they got relegated this year and Benitez walked away, Mike Ashley would be ruining the day that he, he, you know, asked for that extra 50 million because the club would probably be worth like a hundred million at that point, maybe a little bit more, but hmm. I gotcha. I mean, I saw three thirty, and I started thinking, like, man, I'm gonna start calling some friends. We're gonna own a soccer team real soon. <laughs> that's the funny part because that's so the guy that was supposed to potentially be interested in buying the club is Peter Kenyon, who has been involved with English football a lot in the past, and there he was looking at financials, and it seemed to be getting pretty serious. And then Mike Ashley apparently thought that he might not have enough money, and then Peter Kenyon was like sending emails asking people if they had like a million dollars, they could be like in it. And I'm like, okay, this is not going to happen. <laughs> like I, I have like $10. Do you want, you want, can I be part owner? I'm like, I'm you in. know, what are we doing here? I'm um, in. That's funny. Well, every week we like to do uh, a term of the week. So we're obviously we're, we're newbies, we're neophytes, we're still learning. And so this week uh, you're going to explain to us the word pitch 
and and why why do they use this word pitch and what is it what does it mean yeah so pitch is uh and this was kind of like my learning curve and like doing our, doing the podcast and like having to try to translate my 20 something years of talking in american sports lingo and try not to sound like an idiot and i'm like oh okay pitch and just like randomly saying words so but yeah like pitch is is something that and it seems like you know just uh, I guess it started in cricket actually. And like when they would, when they would put together a, a, a field, they would like, um, they would put up the different uh, like bound boundaries and they would like pitch the pitch, the field. So they would like put the two um, stakes at the end and they would pitch the stakes. And that, that's just kind of what they, what they ended up calling it. So it's just another name for the ground. So like, um, okay, here's the, okay, we've pitched the field and here it is. So, so that's just what they stuck with. They're, they're a simple people. They just go with a word and they're like, we called it that no need to get any, uh, any more complicated. Oh, that's super helpful. I had no idea. That's where that came from. That's perfect. Yeah. So in cricket, it's, it's the strip of ground between the two sets of stumps. Got it. So yeah. for a, for a literal, for the literal translation, translation the di- the diff the dex- dictionary definition. <laughs> yeah. Well, Alex, this has been a blast. We're super thankful uh, for you coming on and and selling us some Newcastle um, United. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks guys for having me. I mean, if I could say one thing on the way out, I think the and Brad and I were just talking about it. My co-host on our NUFC podcast. Um, really the thing that, I mean, we, we've gone back and forth a lot and, and, and he, he's more of like the match to match. Like, I just want to watch him win a game and beat Arsenal or beat Man United. And, and I'm always kind of like the big picture, like could Ashley sell, could we become something and, uh, you know, challenge for a title ever again. And I think that's the, the allure of Newcastle United is like that, that hope you always have that, that little shred of like this, this, this club really could be a big contender one day. And and there's still something about it that, that just makes you like, uh, you know, keep with them. And, and, and then those moments, like when we beat Man City or last year, we actually beat Arsenal and we beat Man United. Um, And it was just like the joy of those victories trumps, you know, finishing second as Chelsea or Liverpool any day, because those fans so quickly get, um, so used to, to, you know, winning and then a draw ruins their day. But, you know, a day that Newcastle wins is just, you know, you're on top of the world and, and it's just, it's just a, it's always a roller coaster cheering for Newcastle United. And, and some days you scratch your head and some days you, you know, want to jump off the roof in celebration. So it's always been a, it's always been a, a, a ride. Um, and hopefully we're going to get some more highs in the, in the future. Well, that's great. Well, one of the things that Newcastle and a huge advantage Newcastle has is that I'm making Chris part of him coming on the podcast now is that he, he can only choose a team out of the teams that are left that I haven't uh, wow. interviewed yet. So he's got like seven teams that he can choose from. So Newcastle has a pretty good shot uh, to be Chris's team moving forward. So I, I, would, I, like I, would it. Say, I would say they are the leader in the clubhouse right now. Um, I also, Alex, I'll give you some good news on your way out. Um, I just looked it up and Robert Sarver did already buy a Spanish soccer team. So I don't think anything to worry about. Oh man. Oh, did he do that with like Steve Nash or is that? Yeah. Steve, Steve Nash and partner, $21 million. They bought, um, Real Mallorca. Mallorca. Yeah. I saw, yeah, I saw a couple, 
I saw I saw some Steve Nash things and Kyle Martino, who used to play for the U.S. Men's. He was involved with that a little bit or something, but yeah, that that makes me feel a little bit better. Um, yeah. So thanks for that. You um, are welcome. But yeah. if Steve Nash bought Newcastle, I'm in right away. Just for the record. Wow. Yeah, that would be cool. The, I know the passing would just be better right away. We would be right. like, you know, thr- thrills and thrills. And, yeah. So good. Well, Alex, thanks so much. Uh, you can listen to Alex on the Exile Jordy's podcast. Yeah. Not Gordy's Exile Jordy's podcast. Uh, you can also follow them on Twitter at, at NUFC underscore podcast. So again, man, we really appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. Thanks guys for, for having me. Um, hopefully you guys have some good interviews the rest of the way and, um, and we'll definitely be paying attention to see who you guys go with. Awesome. Thanks a bunch, man. Thanks. Alex. Yeah. Thanks guys. to the Football Neil Fights podcast. Our theme song is Something Elated by Broke for Free. Thanks to One Mission, a community development organization giving people in poverty the opportunity to earn a house by serving their community. If you like these podcasts, go to onemission.org donate and donate to this amazing organization. 100% of your donations will go directly to projects and programs in the field and be tied directly to a family. Once again, that's onemission.org donate. Thanks to my co-host Chris Smith for joining me. Super stoked to have him on. But editing, recording, mixing is still done by me, except the intro. That's done by my beautiful wife, Emily. We're on iTunes and Google Play. Please rate us and comment if you enjoy the podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Football Neophyte. That's Neophyte without the E. We'll be back in three weeks where we feature Burnley. Until then, grace, peace, and love. I'm going to do what you do. What you're doing, is that okay? You're going to wait till the end of the season to choose a team? Yeah. Oh, yes, I love that. I like, because I like Man City, and I also like the Bulls. Are you going to do what I do and not choose whoever wins at all, though? You are? So what are your top two teams right now? Um, who are yours? Mine are probably Wolverhampton and uh, Tottenham. Mine are probably... City? And uh, Tottenham. Really? Nice. We have the same top two. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I would love if the team that we chose was the same.